Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find teachings, sermons, discussions, and additional content all related to what's going on here at Trinity. Trinity Galewood is located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago, and we meet Sundays bi-weekly at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for <clears throat> the gift of faith and Lord um, how you continue to work in those uh, in, in all of our lives Lord I pray today as we uh, dig into your word again as we look at uh, this letter that was written thousands of years ago may we see uh, that it speaks to us today and gives us great hope may your spirit open our ears to hear that hope this morning in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> uh, so I want to begin this morning uh, by reciting an old, uh, maybe like stating my age here by calling it old, but uh, an old uh, commercial. And let me see if you can figure it out, all right? Just by the beginning, uh, this is how it goes. There's a jingle that came in the early 90s. It goes like this. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove. Like, does anybody know? I heard somebody say it. All right, very good. All right, like Mike. If I could be like Mike, did anybody ever hear this commercial before? You've never seen it, all right? Like Mike, if I could be like Mike. No, 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 like Mike, like Mike. If I could be, all right, so here we go. In, Perfect. This is it. 1992. Let me inform you on one of the greatest commercials, all right? Gatorade came out with this commercial uh, that was about Michael Jordan. And, uh, and they came up with this jingle in tune that was like, sometimes I dream that he is me. I've, you've got to see that's how I dream to be. And what was interesting um, about this commercial is that Gatorade in their advertising uh, group uh, brought it to the head uh, executive of advertising, a guy named Bernie Pitzel, and they had a different idea before this jingle. The idea was we're going to um, show about 60 seconds of Michael Jordan doing these incredible moves that only Michael can do dunking basketballs, jumping from the free throw line, and being able to still dunk, and all this stuff that only Michael could do. And Bernie, when he saw this commercial, he hated it. He said, this is ridiculous, because I want to be like Mike. And right now, I can't do any of those things that Mike is doing. And from that conversation, before it went to the public, Bernie set this idea of, we got to come up with a jingle. And three of you know that jingle here today, <laughs> 20-something years later, right? Like Mike, if I could be like Mike. But for me, it was something that was like a heartstring. I remember as a little kid, like being in, uh, in my driveway or at the park and, and just like shooting a, a shot and saying like, man, if I could be like Mike, no, 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 be like Mike, like Mike, 
if I could be like Mike. And, and I, this got, like, was brought forward over and over and over again. And, and today it reminds me of this simple principle that we want examples in our lives to follow. We want examples in our lives to admire, to be like. And today in our passage in Romans, we see another example. And this example is not only one to admire and to follow, but is also one that we see how God loves us. It's important for us to be reminded of this example today. Now, if, you, uh, if this is your first time with us, we're going through a series this summer through the book of Romans. Uh, Romans is a letter that's written by a guy named Paul uh, to a group of Christians in Rome. And if you need more information or you want to know more about uh, the letter and everything like that, you can go on our podcast. We have how you can get to our podcast on your worship sheet. And last week we talked about uh, just the background of this letter and what was going on. And, and we kind of got to this point of where in Romans 1.16, uh, the author Paul says that I am not ashamed, and, and the same word there in the original language is offended. So he says, I'm not ashamed or offended by the good news of Jesus, knowing that this great news can be offensive sometimes. And we talked about um, four different characters. You remember this? If you're with us, shake your head if you remember this, all right? So we talked about four different people. Uh, no offense if your name shows up here, all right? Uh, prideful Steve uh, being this first character of thinking that I bring something to the table, that I want to like earn this gospel good news. Positive Patty thinking that if we just have this positive mindset that like we don't really deal with the evil that exists in this world. Good guy Gary, the guy with the flowers up there who just like one time shows up and does one good thing and thinks that he's got it right and should be completely forgiven and safe sharing, not understanding that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is, is messy. It's not this like smooth little simple thing. It is messy in how God acts and moves in our world. And we left with this verse, Romans 1.17. Paul writes, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the good news of Jesus, the righteousness, the right way of God is revealed a righteousness that is lived by faith from first to last. From first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so today, that's what we're going to lean in on of what does that really mean? The righteous will live by faith. And like Gatorade did in 1992, they brought forward this example to say, okay, this is what it could look like. And Paul, thousands of years ago, writing to these Roman Christians, he points to an example as well to show us what this looks like to live by faith. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for some of you, it wasn't Michael Jordan 
it was this guy named Abraham. Abraham who lived thousands of years ago. Courtney just read these words. I want to read them again here this morning. In verse 1, uh, we'll begin. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, interesting here, the pronoun that, that Paul is using, he's not saying your forefather, it's first person plural. It is, he is our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Paul points out, if in fact, if Abraham was made right with God, if Abraham understood righteousness by what he did, then he had something to boast about. But Paul answers very quickly, that's not how it is before God. Verse 3, it says here, then what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul right away is showing us an important principle of how we should live as Christians. Number one, um, Paul is going to show us somewhere else in the Bible to point out what he's going to be saying in Romans chapter four. The Bible works together and Paul is going to go back to Genesis to give us a greater understanding of what it looks like to live this righteous life. And to do that, he uses this example of Abraham. And you might be wondering, okay, like, um, well, who is this guy Abraham? <laughs> Why is he so important? Well, we read about his story in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Genesis 1, everything is created. Genesis 3, the fall, Adam and Eve. You've heard this story before. And then, well, it would be seven, eight chapters later, we read that Abraham comes on the scene. And he's one who's called out by God in a good way to leave where he is and go to a new nation to be a blessing. Abraham at this time is 75 years old. Raise your hand if you're 70. I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you're 75. All right. Like 75 years old, Abraham is called out by God with his wife and their servant to go to a new land. And they go to this place. But the one big problem that Abraham has in this time is that he's 75 years old and he does not have any children yet. And this is huge for him because how does his lineage continue on? How does he move forward? And so because of that, we read that this moment happens in Genesis 15 where God is talking to Abraham. He's already left to go into this new land. And Abraham has this moment with God that's real and authentic and something that we need to listen and learn from today. A vision comes to Abraham and it says this here in Genesis chapter 11. God says to Abraham, do not be afraid for I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham says to God, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and one who will inherit my estate as Eliezer of Damascus? 
He's not worthy to have it. You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. I think for whatever reason, sometimes we just think that our conversation with God just needs to be very polite and proper. That like, I can't come to God with my honest feelings because you know, he's God almighty. And, and he's really big and powerful. And if I make the big man mad, he might give me something that I really don't want. But we see by this example of Abraham here that he is like kind of calling out God. He's saying, you sent me into this land and I don't have somebody to carry on my lineage And in verse 4, it says this in Genesis 11, or rather 15, sorry. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, just like this picture behind us, look, look, look up at the stars of the sky and count them if indeed you actually can count them. Love it, God, just with his sarcastic tone here. (laughs) Can you count them, Abraham? Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And we read this incredibly important line in verse six. Abraham believed the Lord. Even at his old age, he believed the Lord And it was credited to him as righteousness. This crazy scenario, Abraham believes the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. This righteousness to believe in God and not be afraid to express his doubt. This was righteousness that wasn't just knowing something that God had said a long time ago, but he believed that God was going to hold his end of the bargain. A righteousness that Abraham would know that he certainly wasn't worthy to hold on to because he had just came out of Egypt and made this lie about who Sarah was, saying that it was really his sister instead of his wife because he didn't want to get involved in a messy situation. God says to Abraham, your belief has credited, has been credited as righteousness. And this today is something that we need to hold on to because God is giving us an an example. Paul here is referring to this example in Romans 4.3. He said this, Abraham believed God. He's going back to Genesis 15. And it was credited to him as righteousness, as the right way to live. So Paul is writing that belief and faith is something that is counted as righteousness, which means that God was treating Abraham as though he was living this righteous life. 
I'm going to say this again. God was treating Abraham as though he was living this righteous life in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his uncertainty, because he was sitting there and believing God. He was counted as righteous. He was not perfect. He was not blameless. But God treated him as if he was. And I just hope this sinks in in some beautiful, powerful way of how God acts so contrary to the world. It's simply this, that it is possible to be loved and accepted by God while ourselves are sinful and imperfect. Can we just agree that it is possible to be loved and accepted by God even though we know that we are imperfect and sinful? There was this guy, uh, Martin Luther, who uh, beautifully says it this way in a very simple term that often gets misunderstood. He said that we stand before God simultaneously saint and sinner. Have you heard this before? That we are 100% forgiven by God. Those who believe recognize that God now looks at me in a different light, in a different way. You heard this word counted over and over again in Romans 4 when Courtney was reading. Paul is pointing this out, that God looks at us in a new way. But also, we are sinful people. We mess up. We fall short of what God has called us to be. And so when I think about this concept, it's kind of like, um, like how we get money in our lives. <clears throat> I really believe there's like two ways that we get money. The first way is, is simply by like fulfilling the duties that we have uh, been prescribed to do, also known as a job, right? <laughs> and you have a job description. And if you fulfill those duties, you get paid. If you don't fulfill those duties, like questions start to come and we wonder if you should be getting paid anymore. That's that we can earn money is one way. But the second way that we get money in this world is that it's gifted to us. When somebody says that I just want to give you this freely as just a gift, and the Bible will continually point out, and Romans 4 is pointing out here again today, that the love and the righteousness that God gives us is not something that is earned, but it is something that is gifted. And it is beautifully gifted to those who believe. And for that to happen, there has to be what we would call this like trust transfer. This movement of like putting trust in myself that I've earned the righteousness of God or do I place that in or back onto God and say that I do believe what you have given. Like 50 or 60 years ago, uh, there was this guy named uh, James Kennedy <clears throat> and he came up with this uh, concept that was, uh, I think it was called like evangelism explosion or something like that. And, <clears throat> and the idea was that you would train up people 
to go and have uh, this conversation with their neighbors. Maybe this happened to you at some point in time, um, but somebody would come randomly knock on your door and they would ask you this question. Suppose that you're going to die tonight and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And so I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and ask him that question. I'm totally kidding. I want to make you do that. It's just a grunt right there, right? Uh, no, like this was, this was a model and a method that, that came of like, uh, and, and, and it's, a, it's a solid question. I don't know if it's like one to like start off a conversation if you meet somebody for the first time, right? Like why should you be let into heaven, says God. But, but if I, I would be willing to bet that if we were to take 100 people and, and they were of Christian faith and bring them up here up front and awkwardly watch how they would respond, I believe that there would probably be three like common phrases that we would hear. And three phrases that I actually believe can be very dangerous to our Christian faith. They're against what, what Romans chapter 4 is talking about, what Paul wants us to see in this example of Abraham. One might respond like, why should I be led into heaven? Because I've tried my best to be a good Christian. And, and while that might seem like a solid answer, this just leads us back into earning this gift that has been given to us. See, a righteousness with God, a life of righteousness, is not a matter of doing more good than wrong. When it comes to not fulfilling what God has called us to do, if we mess up one time, we've already missed the mark. So it's not a matter of I've tried my best and my good outweighs my bad. Another answer might simply be, well, because I believe in God and try to do his will. And while this is closer to where we need to get to and what Romans 4 is saying, bless you, it also adds works into the mix. It adds this place of like, well, um, remember, I like am actually a member of a church. And I do more than like my cousin Steve no offense, Steve. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, yeah, all right, my bad. I'm not even going to expand on that anymore, all right? Or, or the third one is simply this, because I believe in God with all my heart. And, and once again, this, this phrase can sound really good, but what we do when, this, when we say something like this is we turn faith something that is a gift that is given to us into a work. And so we say, like, I, I put my trust in my own trust. And, and the challenge that comes with all three of these things, if this is like an answer that you would bring to the table, I would just argue that all three of these will lead to anxiety and insecurity. They'll lead to a lack of assurance they lead to spiritual pride and, and hatred against Steve. They lead to devastation when I mess up. They lead us into a place of where God is not what he is showing us through the example of Abraham. Instead, I believe really the answer is simply this, that I believe in God's promise 
to save through Jesus. I believe in the promise that God has brought and the gift that has come through his son. And that's a transfer of trust, not in myself, but in God and what he can do. And even though I'm not perfect, even though I am a saint and a sinner, I trust that God's promise to save through Jesus is the gift that I need. And I want to receive that offer of promise and forgiveness. So those are all like, like big, like heady things. And it might seem like, very, like, like a very fine point, but our intention is very important. But I want to like just lay out here, finally in Romans 4, Paul talks a little bit more about like, well, what does this mean? How does this affect my life today, right now, besides when weirdo comes knocking on my door and asks me a strange question? I think there's three things for us to get here today. First, we read in verse 19 here, or rather 18, it begins, Paul writes this about Abraham, against all hope. Abraham believed, or Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as that had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without a weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Interesting phrase. Talking about how the fact that he was very old and could not have children, and his wife also, since he was 100 years old, which is old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, meaning that she was also old. <laughs> What'd you get from church today? Sarah and Abraham were old, all right? Yeah. Um, but, but we see this point that even in the midst of this circumstance, it seemed to be rather impossible. Abraham believed in God. And the promise that he had brought. And what that means for us today is simply to believe that reality is greater than how we feel or how things appear. The world that we live in, reality, is greater than how we feel or how things appear. Uh, believing in God will seem very strange at times. When you speak to somebody who does not agree with you, they will look at your belief and say, that seems to be very weird. And you can say, yes, it does. Let me tell you the story about two old people that had a kid a long time ago named Abraham and Sarah. But it doesn't just stop there. It also seems to be rather strange because we believe that this righteousness was given to us by Jesus who died on the cross and then miraculously rose again from the dead three days later. That is strange and it seems to be greater and different than how everybody else dies. But it's a promise that's given for us as well. Paul continues, or rather I'll say this, um, faith though is not opposed to reason. What I'm not saying here is that like it doesn't, like it's always going to just seem weird and different. No, faith works in reason as well, but we have to acknowledge that sometimes it will be opposed to our feelings and appearances. 
Faith should affect how we live and move and act. It affects how we adjust our time. It affects how we look at money and how we give to the church. It affects our attitude towards others because there's something greater going on. Paul continues here, verse 20. It says this, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This life of righteousness and faith not only believes that reality is greater than how we feel and things appear, but it also requires us to focus on the facts about God, to study his word, not just simply knowing some like Bible trivia, but really digging deep into who he is and what he has done. And sometimes we put faith into this weird category of like faith is so that something happens for always my benefit. Like, like God, if I just believe enough, then I'm going to get a million dollars or something like that. This isn't based in the facts about who God is and what he has promised. <coughs> and lastly, <coughs> we read here that a life of righteousness means to trust the word of God. To trust the word of God. And that means for us that we would learn from his word. That means that we would learn from how he acts and go and do those things. And we would learn for his ways and how he has moved in this world. So simply put, what this looks like for us as people is that we're called to learn more about God, to study more about him, and then to go and act knowing that righteousness is credited to us. And, and to do that, simply, um, that's why we're doing our, our summer small groups of this summer of discipline. It's a really cool logo, by the way. Zach came up with it, right? Um, that's why we have these groups. That's why we spend time in community. We come together to encourage one another on. Because this journey of life is not always just simple and easy. We come together to remind one another of the goodness of God and also the tough things that God says sometimes. And how we're called to act and be different in this world. And you notice on the back table there, there's a sign-up sheet to get involved. We have many groups that, that are going to be coming together this summer. And I would invite you that if you sign up today, you can take a couple of those journals home. And we're going to be talking more and more of what it looks like for us to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Because that's our mission here. To study God's word, but also to be people of action. But finally, when I uh, was watching this, this video, the commercial of, of being like Mike... Um, it's kind of funny because uh, I love that Bernie like uh, created this different dynamic of, of what it looks like to follow this example. And about like 20 seconds into the video, um, 
of like Michael doing some cool moves and he's hanging out with like normal people and stuff like that, there comes this white guy on the scene and he tries to do a move that Michael had done. And they clearly capture, you can see like the basketball hitting the back of his head, right? This is not how Michael did it. (laughs) And when I look at the example of the faith, I'm very thankful that Paul is pointing here not to Jesus. I know we talk about here, we say that we desire to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Jesus is our prime example, there's no doubt, but he is God Almighty. And so we look at the faith of others, and I'm thankful that Paul shows us the example of Abraham, shows us this example of one who was questioning God, can you do this, but also in this place of saying, I believe and trust in you. The life of following God, following Jesus, looks a lot more like this white dude here and messing up and falling short. And that's all the more reason as this community of people, when we come together, we need to remind each other of what God has said. It's because of belief that God looks at you and says that you are righteous. What an incredible gift that is. Nothing that you will ever earn, nothing that you deserve, but only because he has said so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your grace, the righteousness that you bring to this world. And Father, oftentimes we would love to think that things are riding on our shoulders when we're doing it right. But when it's not happening, Lord, we want to put it on somebody else. Lord, I'm thankful that you just blow that paradigm up and say, just trust and believe in me. And so, God, I am, I'm praying for whatever the circumstance is. I know every person brings their own question here today to you. God, I pray that we would be reminded of that example of Abraham in the midst of where things don't seem to make sense where reason maybe is not falling in the place, may we be reminded again of the faithfulness of you and the promise that you bring that salvation is for all people and that you bring life and bring it abundantly. God, may we experience that, not just when we are towards the last days of our life, but would we experience that right now in this place here today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.